Hello, witches and listeners. Thank you for joining the podcast for Witchery in the Moon. Witchery in the Moon provides a safe haven for all people under the moon. Everyone is welcome. There is no room in our sacred circle for ageism, sexism, racism, fascism, xenophobia, homophobia, or transphobia. I'd like to welcome you to please join our sacred circle as we discuss tarot, witchery, the moon, magic, myth, and folklore with your host, Devi, and a series of special guests. Thank you for listening, and stay sacred. So before we get into the podcast today, I just wanted to give you some information on some workshops that I'm teaching. On April 11th, I'm teaching Mother, the intermediate level witchery course that is the second level to Maiden, Mother, and Crone. On April 25th, I am teaching my Candle Magic workshop, which is a hands-on intensive candle magic course, which is a lot of fun, and you walk away with a spell candle to use for prosperity. If you join my Patreon coven, you will receive 5, 10, or 18% discount off of all bookings and workshops with me. You can be a Patreon coven member for as little as 5 euros a month. So take a look, and I hope to see you there. today on Witchery in the Moon podcast lives and works successfully and fully in his witchy element. He has a sharp wit, a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor, and takes himself only as serious as needs to be when living the life of a brujo. As authentic as they get, I can't wait to get into our topics with him, and I just know you're going to be on the edge as you listen in. Welcome, listeners, to the Witchery and the Moon podcast. Today, I have a very interesting, cool guest. His name is J. Allen Cross, and he's also known as the Oregon Wood Witch. He is a writer, a YouTube creator, professor of defense against the dark arts, and part-time paranormal investigator. He also has an Etsy shop called Wood Witch Apothecary, where you can find all kinds of exquisite self-made magical oils. Welcome, Jay. I'm very honored to have you join me today on the podcast. And we have some really exciting, extremely important topics to discuss today, and I can't wait to dive into them with you. Thank you so much for having me here. You're welcome. I gave a little intro to you, but can you tell us a bit about yourself in your own words? Absolutely. Um, So I live in my home state of Oregon where I grew up, um, spent my whole life here, and I spend pretty much my days doing all things paranormal and supernatural related. I do paranormal investigation with a team out of the area. I am also a full-time witch. That is what I do for work. So my days consist of casting spells. I'm sitting at my table right now with six candles lit right now um, for various clients. So my my life is very magical and I'm very blessed to have it. So that's kind of 
what I spend my time doing. I specialize in a type of folk magic that I call uh, American brujería, um, but I also branch out into several different types as well. Sounds really fascinating. That's the life. I've also just sort of started on this venture myself and I'm slowly carving my path, but it's really nice to talk to other witches who are doing the same thing and are finding success and are having this connection with the community around them and just mm -hmm. deepening everybody's connection to source and to their own power. So that's, that's really cool that you can do that for a living. Yeah. It's yeah, nice. I feel very, very blessed to be able to do this. I yeah. sometimes tell the story of in the fifth grade, we had to write a report on what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I, I wrote about exactly what I'm doing now. And my teacher made me redo it because she didn't feel I was taking it seriously. So joke is on her. Oh, yeah, that'd be so cool if you could see her again and just be like, well, actually, look at me now. Yeah, that's cool. I think I wanted to be Big Bird when I was in elementary school. I think I, I wrote like, <laughs> right? Why not? Um, so forgive me if I bastardize this when I say this, but so Brujeria, mm -hmm. that's right, Brujeria. Yeah. So you have an upcoming book release in May and I read on your blog, you call it American Brujeria. Could you please explain this to the listeners and then perhaps tell the difference between traditional Brujeria and American Brujeria? Absolutely, absolutely. So there is quite a massive difference between them, but we tend to use the, the same language. So traditional Brujeria is found all throughout Latin America and in my kind of ancestral homeland of Mexico or the Mexico area. And traditional Brujeria is very, very secretive. There is almost zero information out there about it. It's often passed down in family lines and those who do know about it often do not talk about it. It's often seen as something that's very dark, very forceful. It's a very, very powerful form of magic. And it's what we're kind of most known for. A, a lot of, well, I mean, we're known for a lot of things, but as far as the magic is concerned, brujeria is kind of a big buzzword. It's something that people are very interested in because it's so secretive and because it's traditionally seen as being so powerful. And there's this thing that sort of happens in, in American culture too, where we kind of apply the term witchcraft to just about anything that is any sort of magic or esoteric or any of those things. And so people often think that traditional brujeria is the same way, where it's just a catch-all term for magic of a Latinx persuasion. But that's not the truth with necessarily traditional brujeria, at least not in Mexico. It's its own very specific path. And when people think about brujeria, they think that it's the lighting of saints' candles and the praying to Guadalupe and the doing limpias with eggs and things like that, when it's actually it's not necessarily done that way. That is more something that we would call either like hechiceria or magia or curanderismo a lot of the time. But brujeria is something that's kind of separate. In the United States, though, we have this huge population of people like me who are both Mexican and American. And when our ancestors kind of immigrated here, they had to take with them all of this spiritual knowledge into kind of this new world, this new country. And over here, we have different challenges. We have different materials. Some of the materials they were used to having aren't available anymore. And so things had to change. Things had to shift. 
We do have curanderos, which are uh, folk healers here in the United States, but they're very few and far between, which means that the Mexican people after immigration to the United States often had to then take this work into their own hands and do the limpias themselves and all kinds of other work. They found that they had to be doing it themselves. And it's become a lot more popular these days, especially among uh, Mexican-American youth, because we're all kind of being called back to reclaim our ancestral heritage, our ancestral magics. A lot of us have kind of found ourselves doing this sort of Mexican form of work with the lighting of saint candles and, you know, doing limpias and, and these things to, to help ourselves spiritually. And then you ask the young people, what is this called? And they'll tell you, oh, this is brujeria, which is a little bit of a joke. And, and a lot of people don't understand that because we know that like, you know, brujeria is like the, ooh, it's the scary thing. And, you know, the, the brujas are going to come and get you at night. So it's a bit of a tongue in cheek idea. Oh, this is witchcraft. And a lot of people don't understand that. So when we say those things, people think, so that's what you're doing is brujeria. So when I went to do this book, I wanted to separate the two versions that we have. So what we know as American brujeria is this modern Mexican-American folk magic that is very heavily based on and brought forth by the Mexican community post-immigration. And so I just wanted to make sure that I had a separate term for it. So that's what I mean by American brujeria is this type of modern Mexican-American folk magic, if okay. that makes sense. <laughs> that makes complete sense. And I find it super fascinating when you talk about the younger people who are using brujeria or using the term brujeria as mm -hmm. what they're doing is a joke for you because it's a bit of a blanket statement. It's like you said, mm -hmm. with witchcraft, it just kind of covers everything. This is maybe easier for the younger kids who don't really get quite what it's coming from. So they're adapting it to their own way, however they see fit to use it now. And this idea that it's secretive, this has been something in many different cultures, a big thing. People don't talk about their practice. People don't write things down. People don't make books. They talk everything word of mouth and it's passed from generation to generation. So it sounds to me like Bujeria is a similar thing. It's done in a similar fashion. Very much so. But they sort of take it to an extra level. Like there are some very powerful oral unwritten traditions, you know, things like voodoo and a lot of the ATRs and things like that. But for some reason, Bujeria is really locked down. Um, okay. To the point where you would be hard pressed to find someone who actually practices real brujeria, especially in the United States. Um, it does happen, especially in the Southwest, but it's, it's really something that you don't find very often here because it, it, it's seen as being so powerful. And to be honest, a lot of people think that brujeria is just misunderstood, right? Because we, we like to do that these days, you know, oh, witchcraft is, is just misunderstood. It's all about healing and it's about manifestation. Brujeria, though, is not necessarily misunderstood. People in Mexico are afraid for a reason. And that's something that I think we need to be aware of. We tend to try and sanitize things or take away their claws. But in reality, I think there's a definite reason why it's so closed up. Yeah, because mm -hmm. if it falls into the wrong hands or someone who's inexperienced or someone who is just trying it for shits and giggles, mm -hmm. it's going to have a really dramatic kickback, right? Absolutely. And so... I guess there have been teachers or are still teachers, I don't know if they have a specific terminology, that pass on these skills or this information to a select few still, or this is completely not happening? It is still being passed on. It tends to happen mostly within the family, but if you can find a teacher who's willing to teach you, they will. 
it's very difficult to find someone, especially someone who is legitimate. There are a lot of people right. who think that they practice pujeria and they don't. They're just practicing Mexican folk Catholicism, which is not the same thing. And then, of course, we have books that are being written that are, this is all like the secrets of brujeria and it's none of it is actually brujeria. That's something that we're kind of fighting against right now. So it kind of continues to muddy the waters. Yeah, okay. And then that gets really confusing and really frustrating. And it's also for you to have people doing this, writing these books and trying to like expose the secrets is like a slap in the face because the secrets will never be exposed. So it's a sham. Yeah, I think a lot of people think no one's going to talk about it anyway. So if I write a book, I can make up whatever I want and then no one will contradict it because no one actually really knows what's happening behind closed doors. Okay. So. So then I guess maybe we can jump to your book What has it been like for you writing this book and what kind of effect are you hoping that it will have on the magical community, especially considering you just talked about people who are writing books in their own fashion and thinking that they're not going to get checked Mm -hmm. with what they're doing because there's nothing to compare it to. So I'll just repeat that. What was your journey like to write this book? And then what effect do you hope that this will have on the magic community? Yeah, this book came to me very suddenly. I knew I was going to pitch a book. And to be honest, I had started writing something completely different that I had sent to my publisher, who's currently publishing my book. And then just one morning, I just sat bolt upright and was like, wait, no, I need to write about this instead. Because people have been asking me to write a book on brujeria. And I'm like, I I don't know old traditional brujeria. I'm like, that's not something that I do. And they're like, but we need like actual Mexican people writing books on Mexican magic, because that's something that we have not had. It's always been people from outside of the community who are writing books on what it is that we do and then being so very far off the mark. And so I was sitting there in front of my statue of Guadalupe with all my novena candles to different saints and all this stuff. And I go, oh, well, (laughs) I am doing something that is kind of adjacent to that. And we do call it brujeria here in the United States. And then that's when I realized, oh, ourselves as Mexican-American people who are stuck in between are kind of an island unto ourselves, where we are both Mexican and we are American. And our folk magic, definitely, we have our own folk magic. And it really reflects our in-between nature. We're very much a liminal space. If we think about a crossroads where two things intersect, that is Mexican-American people. We are a crossroads ourselves, where we are both Mexican and American. And that's something I get into in the book quite heavily. But the first thing I did was get really excited. And then I panicked because I'm like, oh, wait, this means I'm now going to be the voice of my community. And I have my own personal knowledge and experience with this work. But my personal experience with this work is not something that I feel I can blanket statement for everybody. So what I began doing immediately was calling everyone I knew who either was Mexican-American or was from Mexico or just basically anyone I could talk to with Mexican heritage and began sitting down with them in Mexican restaurants, on the phone, like all this stuff. And it was really funny because I would sit down with somebody like, you know, a a waitress who had just met me like two minutes ago. And I'm like explaining, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm writing this book on Mexican folk magic. Can I ask you some questions? And they'd always be like, oh, well, you know, I don't really, I don't practice any of that. And I'm like, just, just, just stick with me here. I'm like, so does your family use Vicks Vaporub? 
And they'd be like, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, can you tell me a little bit about that? And they'd be like, oh sure. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, my mom used to do this thing where she'd get out the Vicks and she'd mix it with salt and her own saliva. And then she'd rub it in a certain pattern. And then they'd go, <gasps> it's folk magic, isn't it? And I'm like, yes, it is. And then they're like, oh God. And then once they realized that they're just surrounded by it constantly, so much so that we don't think of it as weird or unusual or even as magic. It's just how we live our lives. It's an everyday thing. Right? And so people would get really excited and start telling me these stories about times where they saw La Virgen de Guadalupe or telling me stories about their cousin who saw La Llorona and just giving me all these things or about, you know, red string. And, you know, if you tie red string, then you can't get the ojo and all this stuff just starts flooding out of them. And so I'm scribbling as fast as I can as these people are like getting really excited telling me this. And then when they run out of things, then they call their mom or they bring their mom in to (laughs) tell me other things. That's Um, amazing. Yeah, that was really wonderful to go out into the Mexican community and not just speak from my own perspective, but to get their stories as well. Things that their grandmothers had taught them, things that their aunts had taught them, things that their fathers had taught them and hear their stories and get to collect them and then put them into the book because this book is so much more than just a book of magic it's also a book about our community as being people who are both Mexican and American at the same time and so I'm really hoping this book does a few things I'm hoping that number one it makes those people who are stuck in between feel seen because those of us who are two things at once we often feel rejected by both sides Mm -hmm. I always come back to that line in in Selena where the dad's yelling we have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans and like all this stuff just to prove that we are valid people. And so I want them to feel seen and there are other people like them and that there are people out there that get them. I'm hoping that it reconnects people with their heritage that they've lost touch with. And I'm also really, really hoping that mine is just the start of more Latinx authors being able to write about their own cultures and not have to find very inaccurate books written by people who don't understand it in the way that they think that they do. And yeah. so I'm hoping to kind of clear up some of that misinformation a little bit and blaze a trail for others as well. I think that's really beautiful because I find oftentimes too many people speak for other people. This would be me doing a podcast on Brujeria. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's not my voice. It's not my story to tell. And so, yeah, in a way, you're the soldier going out there and clearing the path for other people's voices to be heard. And I think that that's really powerful. And I think that's really beautiful. And I see such a shift with so many people and so many cultures and traditions and practices. I kind of came out of the broom closet last year in August. I've been practicing since I'm 16. There's still also like making space, but also taking the fear away from accepting who you are, accepting what your roots are, your ancestor, Mm -hmm. your culture, your tradition, and all of these things. I think it's really wonderful what you're doing. Congratulations on the book also. I'm very, I look forward to reading it. Thank you. Yes, I'm very excited to have it come out. It drops on May 1st, which I actually found out recently or realized recently that the feast day of St. Joseph the Worker, which I think is an excellent day to have this book come out. That's super fitting. Wow. I love serendipity. Right? So now you were just starting to talk about something else that I find quite interesting is these misconceptions. For me, with what I'm doing is I try to 
make this disconnect between what people think witchcraft is and what it mm -hmm. actually is. And mm -hmm. so this, of course, is debunking common misunderstandings about the practice. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest misconceptions from Buheria? I find that there tends to be two main ones. There's this misconception that we were kind of talking about earlier. People think or, or they want to think that brujeria is just misunderstood, especially traditional brujeria. Because, you know, we, we had to face a lot of demonization from the church and all kinds of things. And so we understand that not all things are as they seem. However, in Mexico, as I was saying earlier, people are afraid for a reason. When it comes to brujeria, there are spells called amares, which are love spells, but they're not just... I want you to love me. It's borderline mind control where people lose their free will, leave their families that they love dearly to come and be with the person. And then that family loses that person forever and can't get them back. This is very, very dangerous stuff. And people think, oh, they're just misunderstood and they're here to heal people. And it's like, no, no, no. They probably could heal somebody, but there, there would be a price to it. Wow. So I think people need to stop trying to really romanticize traditional brujeria you know, American brujeria is, is a lot softer. It's a lot more in the direction of that folk Catholicism where you work with saints. And then that's where I find my second misconception is when it comes around to saints, especially trying to introduce this idea to the rest of the magical community, which is still heavily pagan. <laughs> I was signed up to teach at a festival not that long ago. And during the process, I was like, okay, this is technically a pagan festival. Is it okay if I do a class on saints? And they're like, you mean like Santeria? And I'm like, no, like in, you know, in Santeria, those are African spirits disguised as saints. I'm talking about the actual saints. And they're like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> like well, the, the actual saints, like asking them for help. And then they kind of pause for a while and then they go, yeah, that's like Santeria. Anyway, and moving on, because people don't understand the intersection of Catholicism and magic. Okay. And okay. I think that's something that I'm hoping that this book also kind of helps people connect the dots with as well, because people don't think that those two things can coexist in the same area. But when you grow up Catholic, like I did, I was an altar boy the whole nine yards. And especially when you grow up Mexican Catholic, it's very magical. It's very magical. It's a lot of lighting candles and asking for the things that you want, working with spirits on the other side in order to help you out, get you a foot up wherever you need it, to protect your home, things like that. It's all done through this Catholic vehicle. And so I'm hoping that this helps people connect the dots and clear up the misconception that it's actual Catholicism that is being used not necessarily mainstream Catholicism, but these two things are coexisting in the same area, especially when it comes to American brujeria. Okay. So the first thing, which was that this can be very dangerous, very powerful, very dark, this love spell and mind control. <laughs> I never heard of that. And I'm a little bit scared over here right? <laughs> because I, yeah, I'm like, oh, I always think of manipulation of other people in spell work this is just a no-no I wouldn't do this ever like I couldn't mm -hmm. even dream of doing this and just in that thinking I've already mm -hmm. set myself up for failure or for something to not go right because already I have the wrong idea in my head about what's going on does that mm -hmm. make sense it does make sense and it's probably one of the reasons too why it's not 
taught widespread. I have talked to people who have learned it from their family and they're like, part of it is just being able to psychologically handle the work, especially at that level and being able to wrap your mind around it. Of course, we always have to take in, you know, historical and cultural context and realize that, you know, of course, Mexican people didn't just come up with this because they wanted to do this to people. There was always a reason for it. And Mexican people have always had to really struggle and do whatever they had to do in order to get by. And their magic reflects that, that they will do what they need to do to survive. And of course, I have to say too, brujeria is not just found in Mexico, but I can't really speak for any of the other countries as I'm not part of that. But yeah. Okay. I just always have this idea in my mind that when you're playing around with something you don't know anything about, Mm. you're already... Like I think about my 16 year old self and doing love spells and what would happen and how I felt and how I always had this nagging, tagging feeling in my gut that I've done something wrong. And Mm -hmm. so that in and of itself, I think what I was trying to say before is when you have that fear and you have that insecurity, stop. Mm -hmm. So when you have someone who has the training, has the experience, knows what they're doing, then it's okay. So going back a bit to this idea of people who don't have the training but call themselves bruex <laughs> we have we have brujas which are brujas. Kind of the female and then we have brujos which are the male witches and then brujix and latinx and words like that they're both american terms they're not used in mexico but they're used to give a gender neutral or kind of a trans inclusive yeah. option and, and that's something that i really kind of stand behind it's a little yeah. controversial right now but i i don't think it's wrong I don't think it's wrong at all either. I'm really sorry for totally brutalizing my pronunciation of all this. I knew, I think you posted also last week a funny video that you made and the automatic <laughs> voice spelled it out brew harry yeah or something. I, I had to do that to get it to say it right because the one oh, yeah. I did. <laughs> Because the one I did earlier was I just wrote it out as it spelled. And then the whole video was the automated voice lady going, let's talk about Brugeria. Found in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hilarious. But then I was like, okay, can I get her to say it right? So then I wrote Brew and then Harry, like Harry Potter. And then like, uh, yeah. And then, she, and then I sort of got her to say it correctly that time. It's pretty funny. But yeah, the, so Brujas is the female, you said. Uh-huh. And Brujos is the Brujos. male. Mm-hmm. And then Brujex is the inclusive. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of the, uh, it's, it's definitely a Mexican-American term. If you, if you go to Mexico and say something about being like Latinx or being like a Brujex, they're going to be like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, I have no idea what that is. And that's just one of those things too that we have to traverse with this is the American version of a lot of this stuff is going to be very different from the Mexico version of it. So we have to realize where our own personal borders lie. Because if someone in the United States says, oh, I'm a bruja, then we just assume that it means that they practice a, you know, a Latin American form of magic. You say that to somebody in Mexico, they will literally run screaming from you. <laughs> So we have to realize that these things change meaning depending on where we are geographically and who it is that we're speaking to. Right. That's pretty much the whole first chapter of my book. The first chapter is titled Spanglish and it goes into (laughs) all of this in detail about "Eh, this means this over here, but it means this here. And then here's where we need to find the lines. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that's great and people should know it. I'm really looking forward to reading this book and learning. So since I work on this, well, it's not really on the topic, but I guess it kind of fits in. Oh, wait, I have one other question before that. Three tips that you would give Mm. to someone 
just starting out in magic or buharia? Yeah, I think my number one tip is to not learn off of social media. That is the number one tip I can give anybody. Definitely do not learn off of TikTok. Do not learn off of Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, none of them. Please do not. It's just a recipe for disaster. I do highly recommend as my tip number two, to read all the books that you can find. And when you're searching for books, I recommend looking at a few things. Looking at the author, do they seem qualified to be writing this book on this topic? Do they have the background? Are they from the culture? Um, Those are things that are very important to look at. Also look at who's publishing them because is it a magical publisher? In order to get my book published, my editor on the book is Judica Isles, who is a very well-known witchcraft author. She does the giant book of 5,000 spells and the encyclopedias of spirits. And so in order to get my book published, I had to pass it through someone who intimately understands witchcraft. Right now, something is happening where people are realizing there's a little bit of money to be made in witchcraft books. So non-magical publishers are reaching out and Uh asking people with big social media followings to write books. And that's not always the best idea. So I highly recommend checking out the author, check out the publisher, and check out the reviews too. See, you know, what people are saying about it. Not every book is going to be reviewed great. And I absolutely understand that, but just kind of see why people are upset about it, if they are. Or you might find out that people absolutely love it. And that might be a great indication as well. If you are looking for information on this specific work, my third tip would, of course, be to check out some of my most favorite books. Of course, pre-order mine, Jalen Crass, American Brujeria. Uh, of course. <laughs> also, uh, all of the books by Erica Buenaflor. She is amazing. Her first book came out. It was Cleansing Rites of Curanderismo. She did such a good job with it. I can't say enough good things about it. She gives the history. She talks about the techniques for Mexican folk healing. Uh, It's a beautiful book. She came out with several others on soul retrieval and sacred energies of the sun and moon. And I think she has another one coming out too. Highly recommend her work. Also, Eric and Alexis from uh, City Alchemist, they put out a book through Conjure South called Magia Magia. And it's absolutely wonderful. I highly recommend it. So if you're interested in the type of magic that I do, I would definitely start there with those two authors. Thank you for that. What I'll do is at the end, I always include all of these notes with Mm -hmm. links to things that we've talked about so people can have an easy access to them. Yeah. Um, Social media. Yeah. Yeah. I use mostly Instagram. And there are a few people that I feel really drawn to and really connected to and they seem to know what they're talking about. However, that doesn't stop me from also doing a back check or vetting them, which maybe seemed a little bit harsh, but as you just said, even with authors, even with reading books, check who's writing, check who the publisher is. And with you, one of the things that I liked about you when I came across your account on Instagram was authenticity. You were laying it out as it is. You weren't sugarcoating anything. You weren't trying to make it romanticized or flowery. It was like, look, this shit is dark. And this is what it is. This is the type of educator. This is the type of mentor teacher that I want to have in my life. If I'm going to learn about something. I think you talked a bit about in one of your articles, being an eclectic witch. And for a long time, I really identified as this, but at the same time, I'm always like, okay, why am I interested in that? Am I hurting the culture 
that I'm borrowing this from? And am I profiting from this? And so because I'm Métis and because I'm Slavic, weird combo, I still, even within that, I have to check my history, my sources, and making sure that even within this practice, that I'm doing it the right way and not just saying, okay, yeah, I know how to smudge because I've seen this like a couple times on TV or I've seen this on social media. <laughs> right. I, I can do this. No, there's so much more. It's deeper than that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you can find some gems on social media, oh, like sure. I said, but at the same time, do your homework. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So cultural appropriations. This Perfect. Is kind of, yeah. The next question, as we said, this is a super important topic right now. I think a lot of people are learning to educate themselves, but I think there's still a lot of people that are blind to what's really going on and using magic that's different from their own, their own culture, I mean. So let's talk about this. How do you feel about it? You know, cultural appropriation has been a big issue for a really long time at this point. And Recently, you know, we've kind of all become aware of it and communities of color and marginalized community have asked everyone to do better. And I think people are trying, but I think a lot of the time it's sort of misplaced in how they're trying. So right now on social media, everything is a closed practice. Nobody is allowed to do anything. I posted something the other day about here are some great Mexican folk magic books. And the comments were just one after the other of no one is allowed to buy these at all because that's cultural appropriation. And I'm like, well, hold up, hold yeah. up. First of all, we've gotten to the point where we're supporting Mexican authors so much that nobody's allowed to support them. We've gone round the bend again. I have friends who have come to me that are so sad that they can't drink margaritas anymore because they're from Mexican culture. And I'm like, okay, this is not what we mean, <laughs> right? We, <laughs> yeah. When people of color ask everybody to check themselves and sit with their own internalized racism and find out how they themselves can do better, people decided that was too uncomfortable instead we're just going to cancel everything. And that's a problem that we're running into right now. And it's causing almost more misinformation than the cultural appropriation was to begin with. So we have to first understand cultural appropriation. And in my book, I talk about this in, in the first chapter, because a common question I get is, well, I'm not Mexican. Can I buy your book? Can I read your book? Can I practice what's in it? And the answer is yes. However, <laughs> we need to have a conversation about it first. Because it's okay to join somebody else's form of magic if we are being respectful, if we are following the traditions, and if we are blending in, right? It's not a problem if we go and join as long as we are not causing any sort of problems and we are being respectful. The issue is though, in the past, nobody has been doing that. Everyone's just kind of been showing up, grabbing on everything, putting their feet up on everything, and it's been an issue. So in my book, I try to break it down to three basic rules for cultural appropriation. Three questions to ask yourself. The first question is, does this make me money? Am I profiting off of this? The answer is yes, then you're probably committing cultural appropriation. Now, I always have to give a caveat because I posted this once and all occult store owners had an aneurysm collectively um, about <laughs> how they're not allowed to sell anything, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, that's not what I'm meaning, especially if you are sourcing your materials from these communities and therefore they are benefiting off of it, things like that. I mean, if you take a weekend workshop in Sedona, decide you're now a shaman and open a shaman business that's a problem that we're having. And so that would be cultural appropriation. The second question is, does it take up space? 
you might be very interested in indigenous culture and that's beautiful you should learn about it but something that we're facing as native people is we're showing up to sweat lodges and it's all white people and that's great we want to share but also we feel then displaced in our culture because when we show up there's no one else like us there we're the odd one out in our own culture and the example i give in the book is maybe you are a person from outside the community who wants to sell your santa muerte statues and therefore you show up at a, at a mexican market and take up a booth well that booth might have gone to an old abuela who is trying to sell enough tamales to keep her lights on that day and so it's very important that we watch out for if we're taking up space in the community that's better served elsewhere this includes writing books teaching workshops all kinds of things the face of the practice should still be those from the culture. And the third question is, does it erase culture? And this is a hard one because a lot of the things that people think are very innocent are actually very pernicious. Something that we're seeing a lot with like African traditional religions right now that we call ATRs is that people will do things like, I'm a child of Oshun. And we're like, okay, how did you find that out? They're like, I just decided. Or <laughs> I had a dream or someone dealt a tarot card and told me that Oshun is my head spirit. Therefore, I've skipped initiation. I've skipped the divination. I've skipped all of these steps and gone straight to working with Oshun. That is no longer Santeria. That is, yeah. that is something else completely. And when we do that, then other people follow our lead and then that ends up erasing culture. So those are the three questions. Does it make you money? Does it take up space? And does it erase culture? And if you look at what you're doing and you can honestly answer no to all three of those, then generally you're okay. And there yeah. is of course nuance and caveats, but that's kind of the general terms for it. Yeah. You can have a and I think it's, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, it seems pretty, pretty clear and pretty simple. They're not difficult questions to consider. And you made me think of something which is, it's a bit funny when you were talking about erasing culture and people deciding for themselves something. They had a dream and they decided that they were, you know, a child of Oshun or, you know. Yeah, you know, something uh, yeah. like this. So they skip all of the steps and they just are this thing. And yeah. for me, I always have to think of the impatience of Ralph Macchio in the Karate Kid, <laughs> right? And he just wanted to fight, but his sensei it was like no you gotta wax on and you gotta mm -hmm. wax off you have to do all the stupid things that you think are stupid or whatever mm -hmm. because this is your foundation and this is your basis for getting to that place you can't just decide it for yourself you need to get there Absolutely. Um, and part of the beauty of all of this too for me i think is that process of mm -hmm going through everything and absorbing everything and getting to the point where you actually do have self-realization or you are initiated or you are, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is in whatever tradition. So I just had this visual of patience. <laughs> well, you know? and, it's a, and it's a bit of humility too, because when people do the sort of skipping thing, it's very clear that they feel they know more than the people who have intimately been working with these spirits for thousands of years. Yes. That they know better. Yeah. And that's immediately where you go wrong. That's when we begin to erase culture by saying, actually, none of that stuff is necessary. And we're going to completely disrespect and disregard your traditions and do whatever we want with your culture. That becomes cultural appropriation. Yeah. Okay. There's still two more questions here, um, which I don't think are very small, but I think they're connected. So 
I remember years ago, there was this hex Trump with witches of the world coming together to do this binding on him, which wasn't super successful. Again, going back to what you were saying about secrecy and when you tell people what you're doing, then people can counterattack this, right? Mm -hmm. But so then because of this, how can the listeners use witchery or witchcraft or brujeria to fight social injustice today? Mm -hmm. What is your opinion on that? And then how can we use it to fight against the social injustices? Absolutely. So I think, first of all, it comes down to understanding magic and how it works. Because when we do magic, when we cast a spell, we are asking for an adjustment in a timeline as far as our trajectory is concerned. But we also on top of that have something called fate or destiny or some things that are meant to be. So if we cast a spell that goes against something that's meant to happen, then nothing's going to happen with that spell. It's just gonna be completely blocked because that takes precedence. And so when we have someone like the president of the United States who makes decisions for an entire country and is involved in worldwide affairs, that is a huge web of fate and destiny and all kinds of stuff that is tied to this person. So making them a target is so much harder because you're battling that to begin with. The second thing that you're battling is you're battling the fact that they actually have support. And in Trump's case, a huge amount of support. And what's funny is people who were doing this whole bind Trump, hex Trump, whatever, they kept putting it on blast on social media. Everyone, 500,000 people are, are invited to the event to hex Trump. And so first of all, you blow your cover. <laughs> Absolutely. You tell everybody what you're going to do. And then what happens next is prayer circles form all over the world to protect this person and do counter magic. Masses have been said, prayer circles are formed, chanting is done, all this stuff. And there's a hubris in kind of the witchcraft paganism community that says that Christianity isn't real or it's not powerful or any of that stuff like that. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. It completely blocked you guys in every step of the way. Yeah. When it comes to actually getting the job done, we need to do two things. We need to look at history a little bit. There was something that happened in the UK called Project Cone of Power. And I believe it was World War II, Hitler was going to be invading into Britain. And so a small handful of witches got together in secret and cast the spells that they needed to cast and Hitler never invaded Britain. And so that is something that we really need to look to. People who number one, shut up about it and then did the work. That is something that's gonna be so much more effective than inviting the masses. Because you also have to understand too that the people they were inviting were people who had never done spell work before or who were just doing this for fun tonight with their friends. And that's all going to muddy the water. 500,000 people casting a mediocre spell is not gonna have the same impact as five witches who know what they're doing in secret casting the work. That's your first lesson. The second lesson is when it comes to affecting social justice change, especially with witches, and we saw this in the Black Lives Matter movement where people began to show up at protests dressed in their witchy ball gowns and their black pointy hats, holding signs that say, witches for black lives. I bet that looked great on your Instagram, but did it do anything? And I understand wanting to show support, that's great, but that's number one, it's it's pulling focus from where it needs to be. And also, we're witches. We have more to offer than black outfits, right? So I wrote another article that was like, here's what we do. Here are spells 
that we need to be casting. Here are spells to protect protesters. Here are spells to hex cops. Here are invisibility spells for your minority friends, things like that. You know, we are witches. We have power. We need to actually use it. And that's something that I hope will change now that we're kind of coming out of the pandemic and these protests can begin again, that we will actually see which representation working alongside Black leaders and, you know, leaders of color in order to assist them magically instead of just showing up dressed in your witchy finest. We need to actually do the work, which is what everyone's avoiding right now, but we need to actually do it. Yeah, no, exactly. There was a really, really big Black Lives Matter protest here in Berlin last year. And the amount of people that showed up was shocking, considering it was smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. I would say probably 80% of the people were actually wearing masks. I was, and the group that I was with was wearing masks, of course, but that's beside the point. And seeing so many people get together was really motivating for me and for all of us. But as you said, how many people show up to these events to take pictures Mm -hmm. and be like, I was here, or who's actually doing the work on the outside that doesn't need to expose it to everyone to have a look at me moment, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just think that when we take the time to focus our intent in the right place. It's not about Mm. me. It's not about me holding a sign. Mm. It's not about, and I didn't wear a witch's costume, but, (laughs) but I did see these pictures. It's like you said, it's not about the attention to be on me because I'm there. It's about the reason why I'm there. I don't need to stand out. I want to be invisible. I just want to be a body that Mm. is showing support. And then I can go home and do the work that I need to do, do the spells. And I did actually a really nice spell with two of my mates, they came over and we did a binding spell together, Mm -hmm. just the three of us. We didn't talk about it. We didn't announce it. We didn't post pictures on social Mm -hmm. media. We just have to show up and be there and just take a look at the bigger picture because it's not about me. Right. And realizing that we have so much more to offer too, as witches, the normal, regular run of the mill people. I'm always shocked. I'm like, why is no one here anointing protesters with protection oil? Why aren't people here doing work to make sure that the cops stay away or doing work to make sure that certain escape routes for protesters are open if they get cornered or things like that? We have magic. It should be utilized in order to assist. And of course, when we do this, we want to contact and work under the Black leaders, because I can see this turning into a thing very quickly, which is kind of showing up and doing whatever they want, but making yourself available of service to the Black leaders and letting them know what you can do to help. Um, I think we have so much more to give. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then there's only one last question, and it's super easy. Where can the listeners find you? (laughs) Well, I'm working on a website and I've been saying that for months and months and months, but I am hoping to have it actually finished soon. The best place to find me now is going to be on Instagram. My handle is at Oregon Woodwitch. You can find me there. You can keep up to date with everything that I'm doing. You can get updates on the book. You can book spell services with me or book readings with me, all kinds of stuff. I offer a bunch of different services. I also offer coaching too. So if you want to learn witchcraft, you can sign up and I can help teach you. Also, there's links to my small little Etsy store, which I I do love. Um, It's not very big, but I do put out some interesting things. So that's all available there through my Instagram. Great. I kind of peeped on all of the things that you're doing. And you also have this blog. 
I don't, are you still writing for Prometheus? Uh, I am. I haven't said anything in recently and I do have a few articles that have been percolating in the back of my brain. So I'll probably be adding more of those. But yeah, so my handle on Instagram is at Oregon Woodwitch and you can find all that stuff there, including links to my Pathios account and all kinds of stuff. Perfect. That's great. And I will make links in the show notes to all of those things so people can find you really easily. So then I would thank you very much, Jay, for joining me today. That was really interesting for me. I believe it's going to be really interesting for the people listening as well. Hopefully it will open some people's minds and eyes to the things what are going on in terms of cultural misappropriation and the differences between traditional Bruharia and American Bruharia was really, really cool for me. So thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, good. So we'll see each other on Instagram in any case. Yeah. (laughs) Dear listeners, thank you for joining me today. This podcast would not be possible without your support, so I thank you. Members of my Patreon coven have access to all sorts of magical goodies and assistance throughout the year. You can subscribe for as little as 5 euros per month. The top tier is the Coven Supreme, priced at 30 euros per month. You will get sigil magic, tips and tricks, a weekly tarot card, a monthly message from tarot, a 20-minute consultation with me, my three-card reading called Total Lunar Eclipse, which is valued at 35 euros, access to the online coven community I have created for all of you lovely witches, as well as an 18% discount off any booking or workshop with me at any time. I look forward to meeting you there. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today and want to help keep me on the air, please take some time to leave five stars and a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. Another thing that would be so lovely is if you would share my podcast on social media. All of this will make such a huge difference and it will help others who need and want this kind of witchy content to find me. Thank you for your constant and loving support. Stay sacred.